Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I felt like I was doing pretty much everything in my power to not get cancer. Um, and yet, here I am. That's Scott. He's a software engineer, and he builds computer programs that help doctors detect breast cancer and medical scans. He's also spent pretty much his entire adult life maximizing his physical health. Last year, at the age of 32, Scott was diagnosed with stage 4 bone cancer. He's had to pack up his life in California and move to Texas for treatment at MD Anderson Medical Center. He's undergone multiple rounds of inpatient chemotherapy, and doctors have had to amputate his right leg and remove a vertebra from his spine. I think there are a lot of ways in which I think I've matured and softened already through this experience. And I think maybe that's just our instinct to try to find meaning in uh, whatever tragedy or, or adversity we experience. But I do think there's been a lot of change, hopefully for the better. I mean, it would be a shame if, not only were my body compromised, but my personality also got worse. Most of the conversations we've heard on a slight change of plan so far are from folks who've gone through a big change and are out the other side now, reflecting back. But Scott is still undergoing treatment, and in our conversation, he's processing this big change in real time, unsure of how his story's going to unfold. But so far, one thing's surprised Scott. He's handling this change far differently than he thought he would. I'm Maya Shunker, and this is A Slight Change of Plans, a show that dives deep into the world of change and hopefully gets us to think differently about change in our own lives. Ooh, 
I've known Scott for about two years now. We don't know each other super well. He's a friend of my husband's. But he shared pretty early on that he is a total health nut. I remember the first time I had dinner with Scott. Not only did he pick out the healthiest restaurant in town, farm-to-table, organic, and vegan, he also chose the healthiest item on the menu. I'll put it this way. If there's rigorous evidence out there that some health behavior works, I promise you Scott's done it. He's a vegan, he does intermittent fasting and high-intensity interval training, and he adds turmeric and chia seeds to his food whenever possible. I definitely had a certain amount of rigidity surrounding health. I I was adamant about getting a certain amount of sleep, adamant about eating the certain correct types and quantity of foods. It seemed like an outlet for my, my control freakishness. So I had read the nutrition book, How Not to Die. And I I was pursuing a a lot of those principles pretty faithfully. The goal was to be fit and to look fit and to perform my best. The goal was certainly not to to avoid death. Mm. It was more a fear of diminishment. One of the ways Scott tried to stave off diminishment was to play sports. While in grad school years ago, Scott was playing soccer and sprained his right ankle. Years later, in the fall of 2019, he was out jogging, something he did fairly regularly, when again he experienced pain in his ankle. And I sort of attributed it to to that earlier injury. I think it was the end of 2019 where I thought, I think physical therapy would help. And so I worked through the PT and it just didn't get better. And I'm I'm really diligent about these sorts of things. I'm like the only person who ever does their PT exercises, all of them, every time. I remember sort of getting out of bed in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and I would sort of be limping and hobbling. And it just kept getting worse. And at a certain point, I said, I need to see somebody about this. I had a, some suspicion in the back of my mind that it was something nastier than a strict sports medicine issue, like it could have been an infection or some fracture that wasn't healing. I went to go see somebody who ordered x-rays and the x-rays were a little ambiguous or concerning. So they sent me for an MRI. I got an MRI and they said, okay, well, you have some tendinosis, but there's also something going on with your bone. Hmm. Did you ever think at any point that it might be cancer? I mean, I know you said you thought it could be nastier than a simple orthopedic injury, um, but did cancer ever cross your mind? No, uh, it didn't. It was listed among those things, but I it, it just felt too remote to mm. believe. I, I also felt like I was doing just about everything in my power to avoid getting things like cancer. I thought it was maybe an inevitability that I would get something like prostate cancer, which is sort of rampant in in both branches of my family. But that was something for 60-year-old me. Not 30-something. Exactly. Can you bring me back to the moment where you, you ended up getting the definitive call from your doctor? Yeah. We were in a car driving towards Santa Cruz. And... We got connected with my 
orthopedic surgeon and they explained that they thought it was cancer and that it should be removed surgically and that the nature of the cancer probably warranted a very intense regimen of chemotherapy and that the presence of these other spots in my skeleton suggested that it was a fairly aggressive disease. It would not be unreasonable to describe my condition as multifocal osteosarcoma, and the five-year survival rate for patients with this diagnosis is about 30%. And so I think that is the first time that all of that, that terminology and those numbers kind of aligned and we were faced with the magnitude of the situation. Do you remember what your your first reaction was, what you thought? Well, I was with Logan at the time, who is now my wife, and I think there was a sense of responsibility. I mean, we had been, we were not yet married. We were engaged. I, I think my mortality came into relief in a way, and I wanted to solidify our bond, both between us and also in the eyes of the law as it pertains to power of attorney and inheritance and all that stuff. So I think some of those logistics rushed forward and thought about tying the knot. Scott had to make some fast decisions after he got that call from his doctor. In the span of two weeks, he and Logan got married in Golden Gate Park. And Scott decided he was going to seek the most aggressive treatment possible, which meant amputating his right leg below the knee. The day before their wedding, Scott and Logan threw an unusual kind of party, a foot roast. A foot roast is sort of a comedy roast in which my friends teased me about both having cancer and about uh, preparing for an amputation. And, and sort of everybody came up and did a few minutes of stand-up. So again, osteosarcoma. Of course, Scott gets basically the Harvard of cancers. Not sure if you've heard of it. Only about one in uh, 300,000 people get it each year. I think everybody feels uncomfortable with illness and with disability. And I, I think this, this word amputation, amputee is really ugly. And I think it, it like speaks of deformity and I think it's scary. So I think this was a, a way that everybody could kind of confront it with, with levity. One of our friends said, you know, you may be losing your, your foot, but at least everything you do from here on out will be considered brave. I mean, I just, I really appreciate the irreverence, but wow, that to me, that is such a revealing anecdote. And I think says mm. so much about who you are and the way that you're processing it. I think very few people could find humor in tragedy so quickly after a diagnosis like this. Is that just who you are? Is that how you sometimes process grief or trauma? H humor is sort of one of the most important things to me. And so this is a weird, crazy situation. 
but there's also a lot to laugh about. So your cancer treatment has recently required that you move to Texas, uh, MD Anderson. You are now in a ward that exclusively involves cancer, right? So like every patient you're seeing every day has cancer. Do you feel a sense of camaraderie because you're all going through a similar experience? Yeah, it's a little bit like a factory. I mean, so many patients go through it. It's like cancer Disneyland. But but there's something just nice about seeing other people, you know, not having hair as the norm there. So, yeah, it's nice to be in that environment where everybody has cancer. And it's it's so interesting. Like, I remember the other day, my wife was driving me to an appointment and somebody cut her off in the parking lot and she sort of honked. And I reminded her like, honey, everybody here has cancer. Everybody's having a shitty day because they're coming to MD Anderson to either talk to a doctor about their own cancer or, or accompany a loved one to do that. So like, we're all going through something bad and it, it kind of puts things into perspective that it gives you a certain amount of empathy. It's easy to to have road rage to a stranger, but here you, you kind of, it's like every stranger, there's like, you know, something very private about them. Like having, having a cancer diagnosis or, or a family member with cancer is sort of a, a private pain and here you are in this large institution swarming with people and you know something very intimate about each one of them. And it means you're kind of nicer to everybody on the elevator. You like hold the door for, for people that you you might not otherwise think about. And so it does engender a certain amount of positivity in light of what's usually a crappy day for people. I wonder how involved you were in your treatment plan, because on the one hand, you're an extremely knowledgeable, scientifically minded patient who can do his own research. On the other hand, maybe there's a simplicity in deciding to defer decision making to some other person to put it all on them. Yeah, that's a super interesting question. There's something soothing about just being taken care of, but I also just find this stuff really interesting. Like it was very weird to be talking about biopsy results and surgical decisions. It felt kind of abstract to me just because I could get into the weeds about the the trade-offs and, oh, how do you do that? And how how is that even possible? Um, And it, it didn't necessarily always feel like I was talking about my own treatment plan. So I definitely, I found some perverse excitement about engaging with these well-trained and very smart people on their subject matter. Did you do your own research at every step along the way? Oh, definitely. And so, yeah, I got I got really in the weeds reading the medical literature and trying to make the best decision, but also knowing that the best decision wasn't always the most pleasant decision. You know, so if chemotherapy would extend my life, it also really sucks. Uh, so that's the challenge of making a decision for yourself. Anyway, it, it 
it does make you prone to regret because you didn't just you didn't necessarily follow the protocol um and it the the decision is on your shoulders in a way what has it been like to see your body change in this way yeah it's been hard um yeah i feel like i am more concerned on any given day i'm more concerned with losing my six pack than i am with the possibility that this disease might kill me maybe it's just because it's more present and that's just a flaw in my and vanity and it's it's not something i'm particularly proud of just yeah maybe just a quirk of my brain where it's certainly more present than mortality i i don't think it's just your brain scott I find so much resonance in that. And I think it is very brave of you to admit that because I think, you know, there's this narrative out there like, oh, you know, I should just be grateful that I'm alive. Like, why am I caring about all these small things? But, you know, a, a huge part of who we are is is how we feel. And sometimes, you know, as much as we might hate to admit it, it is what we look like. Yeah, I, I miss my beard. I- then again, I think I'm I'm gradually warming to this idea and I don't want to act like I'm reformed. But it does, as I'm sort of gradually losing function, as I've deconditioned and become less agile and more frail, I, I'm warming to this idea that identity is a little more plastic. Even though I can't do a handstand right now, I'm still me. These things that I thought were core to my personality and to my existence, like my athletic prowess, whatever it was, as I'm losing those things, I it suggests that a lot of these things are more more negotiable than I thought. We'll be right back with a slight change of plans. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, NA member FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. Should you send that email you wrote while you were mad? Probably not. Probiotics can't help with all of your gut decisions, but if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. Food choices, stress, or travel can throw off your gut health. That's where Ritual comes in. 
they made a three-in-one supplement called Symbiotic Plus with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. I make sure to take my Symbiotic Plus every morning, and I always appreciate that it's in a single minty capsule. Ritual prioritizes sustainably sourced ingredients and lower carbon packaging for its products, which is another reason I feel good about taking Symbiotic Plus. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slight. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slight for 25% off. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. What has it been like to confront death in this way? How have I confronted death? Um, or have you confronted it? I mean, maybe you haven't, which is also completely fine, you know? Oh, God, it's so weird that the the death is feels very theoretical mm. because the experience of the disease was really just my ankle hurts mm. and jogging is just is uncomfortable and then it's been the treatment that vastly uh overtakes the disease in terms of unpleasantness and discomfort uh but in order to undergo this hideous array of treatment, I have to operate on the assumption that I'm going to come out on the other side and and live a long life. Because otherwise, what's the point? So day to day, I function as though I will be a long-term survivor of this disease. It will be a formative character-defining experience, but I don't think that I'm going to die. Now, and, and it's hard to like, share those two things because of course when i have been diagnosed with something that tends to kill people you do need to appreciate it maybe maybe you should change your behavior in some way or change your the lens with which you look at the world but i you also should if you're to survive, probably act as if you're going to survive, you know, fake it until you make it. I can fully appreciate a rational commitment to that. But when I think about myself, I I would crack and break. I mean, my, my emotions would get ahead of me for sure. And you think so. But do you have those moments of, of weakness and vulnerability where you're like, look, my rational brain is telling me to act this way, but like, God, this just really sucks. And I feel really despondent or I'm just so enraged by this situation. Um, yes, but I was on mushrooms. <laughs> so that doesn't really count, I think. Oh, wait, this is so interesting. Did you 
do a trip with the hopes that it would change your perspective when it came to cancer? Because I know there's all these studies happening right now. It was clear that I had some processing to do and it felt like this could be a useful aid confronting mortality and and fairly scary statistics about my long-term survival. I don't know, I guess just to let that all sink in, to marinate in my skull, needed, potentially needed some enhancement, some some external enhancement. (laughs) The experience that made me cry was imagining the situation from the point of view of my mom and sort of the the pain of having a child diagnosed with a life-threatening condition and and be at risk of dying. I'm an only child, I'm close with my mom and I, for some reason that perspective shift that was is 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 always possible but is somehow made more tangible when you're on substances like that drove me to tears. I'm curious to know how you know, you're going through this huge personal and physical change. And one thing that's hard to anticipate is how the people in your life are going to change as a result of the diagnosis, change the way they interact with you. Have you noticed any changes? I think a lot of people would think that since I have, quote, real problems, Mm. their problems seem insignificant. I think what I've learned through this experience is that there's such a degree of homeostasis in the human mind that your problems are your problems. That means that when something is bothering you, Mm. whether it's a life-threatening thing or a very minor thing, it still kind of occupies the full bandwidth. So it doesn't annoy you when you hear people talking about more everyday problems? No, no. My best friend's biggest toughest decision he's working with right now is is which blue apron item to cook tonight and and i'm thinking about should i do the should i do the surgery after cycle four or after cycle five Mm. and and how will that affect my my survival and 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 recovery and everything like that so i could see why there would be some hesitation in connecting but i think I mean, a lot of those, maybe if there was advice for your listeners in that category of things, um, it's less about what you say and more just the fact that you're saying anything at all. Mm. You see it as caring. Yeah. Have you noticed that any of your friendships feel different now, though, or that you're, you know, for someone who is normally just so self-sufficient and and independent, all of a sudden you're on the receiving end of, all of a sudden you're on the receiving end of pity. And that might be a foreign (laughs) feeling. I mean, do you you feel that way? Does it make you uncomfortable? (laughs) I just assume that they envy me for so many other reasons that (laughs) uh, it it just balances things out. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) What about in your relationship? What's been the hardest part about being newly married and having to go through this with your new wife? Yeah, I mean, I think in our relationship, I think I had been sort of the more, I had been more of a provider, more of a caretaker, more of a rock. 
And then here I was sort of crumbling. And I think it caused a little bit of a reconfiguration of our roles, hopefully temporarily. When you sign up to build a life with somebody and then you learn that they may not live to fulfill that dream, it must be really hard. Mm-hmm. And I think that has been, I mean, that has been in some ways what has motivated me to treat this very aggressively, even if it, it will cause long-term damage to my heart or neuropathy, that is preferable to to perishing. So I think seeing it through her eyes has been hard, but also motivational. Has there been anything that surprised you about the way that you've adapted to this cancer diagnosis and treatment? Yeah. When you get to the other side of these events, events like a diagnosis like this, it feels like the emotional thermostat has prevailed and I am generally just as happy as I was a year ago. There are moments of more acute discomfort, uh, nausea and, and, and pain and helplessness, etc. But like the good moments are just as good. Hmm. And on a Sunday morning and drinking a cup of coffee, looking out the window, it's like that moment is just as nice as it, as it was a year ago. And that although my experience may be punctuated by a lot of negative experiences, that plenty of very nice moments remain. I think that people like yourself included would predict that you would just be a total wreck and it would be absolutely constant misery. But I guess, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, it's, it's resilience that is unique, but mm. I doubt it. And this was unexpected, right? I mean, you, you didn't predict this. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, it's certainly a pain in the ass. But if if you knew how generally normal I would feel, it's like, would you would you work so hard to avoid this outcome? I mean, that's sort of a weird and weird argument, but. Oh, interesting. No, I, I want to. So so what <laughs> you're saying is like, if I known that I would adapt in this way and, and achieve my former happiness levels. Was there justification for me to be so fearful of cancer in the first place? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, right. I, wow, I think that is. I think that's that's well said. I think you put it together better than I could. So I don't think it's like one ought to just forsake healthful habits in or because they realize that doesn't doesn't particularly matter. But but I think. It, it might serve you to to worry a little bit less. How, how has this experience changed your relationship with control? As you said earlier in the interview, you're kind of self-proclaimed control freak. And yeah, I do wonder if you think differently about that and how that might affect the, the way you live the rest of your life. It, it really makes you understand that that you are not in control <laughs> and it's a little refreshing in a way like you can sort of release 
the grip on your on the steering wheel a little bit and that kind of eases tension throughout your entire body when you realize that like you can do your best you can control like 99% of outcomes but there are certain things that just come at you that that you had no chance against wow i love that it's really beautiful scott i think there are many listeners who are currently in the throes of a big life change and it is unresolved and i'm wondering if you have any advice for for people who who don't who don't know the end yet right they don't they don't have that clarity how you deal with that kind of uncertainty Mush- mushrooms <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> um i mean I, this is I am far from a Zen master and and I, my meditation practice has, has long since lapsed, but there is a certain comfort in appreciating what's happening right now. And usually whatever crisis is looming isn't affecting what's happening right now. Mm. And that if you just notice it and appreciate it, it can provide a lot of comfort. And and you realize that if right now is fine and then the same thing happens tomorrow and and tomorrow is fine, then it's probably going to continue along that path. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I also like how you just framed it as fine, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Not (laughs) ecstatic, but it's fine. It's fine, fine. exactly. I think listeners are going to be really lucky to be able to hear the full range of your thoughts That's very kind of you to say. Yeah, no, I really mean it. So thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening. If you're enjoying a slight change of plans, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share the show with friends. And join me next week when I talk with Morgan Givens, a transgender man. In his 20s, he underwent hormone therapy to bring his body into alignment with his male gender identity. I found myself skipping at home. You know, I'm six one, <laughs> and I am a pretty gigantic Black person, but I had so much joy in that moment that I literally could not contain it. But Morgan's joy was short-lived when he was confronted with the reality of being a Black man in society. You know, there was this aspect of feeling completely boxed in and caged by womanhood and and my femininity. And I I broke free of that, you know? I broke free of it for, for a little while. I had a few moments in the sun, you know? But the longer I've gone since that moment, the more I've realized how I have become caged once again. I'm not as free as I thought I was. A Slight Change of Plans is created and executive produced by me, Maya Shunker. Big thanks to everyone at Pushkin Industries, including our producer, Mola Board. Associate Producers David Jaw and Julia Goodman. Executive Producers Mia LaBelle and Justine Lang. Senior Editor Jen Guerra. And Sound Design and Mix Engineers Ben Tolliday and Jason Gambrell. Thanks also to Luis Guerra, who wrote our theme song, and Ginger Smith, who helped arrange the vocals. 
incidental music from Epidemic Sound. And of course, a very special thanks to Jimmy Lee. You can follow A Slight Change of Plans on Instagram at Dr. Maya Shunker. I finally have I finally have somebody to write the perfect college essay about. <laughs> just just about 15 years came, too well, late. Yeah, it came a little late. Certainly. You already got into Harvard, Scott. All right, we want to get to Harvard <laughs> plus. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>